Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Hey Jeff, I got a question for you. What's that? Have you ever been jacked in a fraternity? I've been in part B, but not part A. <laughs> Me neither, <laughs> in either one. But today's guest, man, he's jacked and he was in a fraternity, but he's a legit dude, love Jesus. And uh, we're really excited to have Carson Case on the show today. So besides him being jacked, what's he going to share with us today? Man, he's going to share with us today some cool things that he's doing uh, right now, but also just some cool steps that he's kind of gone through with God and how he has really leaned into mentors and how they've helped him along in this process. And so God's just doing some cool things in his life, and uh, we're excited to hear what he has to say about young adults. As a guy who's had some really important mentors in my life, I'm excited to see and hear what he has to say, how mentoring shaped his life. So why don't we take it to the interview? Here's Carson. So why don't we start? I mean, you are eight months into marriage to Aaron, and and tell us, how did you guys get connected? Man, so what's crazy is I chose to go to Coastal Carolina. I was born and raised in Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, went to Coastal, spent all four years there. Um, when I was a junior, we started Young and Free, which kind of morphed into Soul. And with Young and Free, we were getting a lot of Bojangles chicken, you know, a lot of just like funky things and getting people around and just having discussions. And I remember in passing, Aaron was the president of 85 sorority on campus. And so the key for me as a young guy was, all right, athletes, fraternity, sorority, people in circles of influence, maybe some know the Lord and maybe some don't. Let's get them around like what we're doing um, with these studies and with these events and, and just get them front and center and see what the Lord will do. And um, I know we met in passing, but it wasn't until it morphed into soul later on that we kind of linked up again. And it's so funny. I say this all the time. I think it took me about seven or eight invites to get her there. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I think it was on the eighth one, uh, maybe like a, a Twitter DM. And it wasn't, you know, we weren't, you know, trying to date or anything. I just, I knew of her and I knew she had a lot of girlfriends. And I said, Hey, you know, come to this thing. We're doing this event or um, this Super Bowl event. And she came and I'm telling y'all, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me about my wife and I just, man, she's so awesome is uh, she stayed until about midnight cleaning up chairs and everything. That was the first night she came. Cool. And so that's, a, that's always stuck with me since. Yeah, that's cool. So, so Young and Free, uh, you mentioned that. In who, why, did, why did that get started? So when I went home um, for my sophomore year, so of course I had been there freshman, sophomore year. Um, I was kind of involved in the fraternity scene a little bit. I wanted to lead people to the Lord. I was two years into my walk, and you know, I got saved at 17, 18, that transitional time, um, 17, 18 years old, and, but I was, I was fresh. I was new. I was also at a school that was 15 hours from my home, mm. so I was, I was having to be bold. I was a little bit nervous. I was homesick. <laughs> I'm a big mama's boy, so with all those things, but I knew that God had at least a calling on my life, and I knew that when I got saved at 17 years old, he had called me to lead in some major ways, but I didn't know what that looked like. And I remember being a big gym rat there. I was in the athlete culture. And again, I, I told you guys I was in a fraternity. And um, I went home after my sophomore year. And when I came back that summer, um, as I come back 
I knew that the, the Lord had spoke over me. I want you to begin something at Coastal Carolina and for the city of Myrtle Beach because there was just nothing. I mean, yeah. nothing going on. I mm -hmm. think as I tell everybody all the time, why do you go to the beach? You go to the beach to relax. Young people go to the beach to party, to hang out. It's just, it's not a place where you're, you're going and you're hanging. You're saying, let's all follow Jesus here at the beach. And, um, and that, that was the truth. And so I just felt that call from the Lord um, from sophomore year into my junior year. Hey, you need to start something. And um, I met with two people at the Starbucks on Coastal Carolina's campus. And um, one of them was a football player. The other was a, and a great friend, great friends of mine still. Um, the other was just an influential girl on campus and, and just a lot of scenes. And so we met at an apartment that was like a really popular apartment complex for like big parties and stuff. And we would just invite influential people in, people that were friends, people that we know that were in some big circles. And we would say, hey, we're going to serve uh, chicken biscuits and different things. We may crack open a Bible. We just want to ask you like why you believe what you believe or why you don't or where you're going or what's your purpose. So it wasn't, it, it was very rogue in the sense of we didn't have a message plan for young people to come listen to. And I think that's why Young and Free morphed into Soul the way that it did because it's been very rogue since the beginning and very creative. And people would just discuss and it would get heated and some people would be very confused. I would, I would say to you guys now, uh, three years later, three plus years later, doctrine was probably a little off. There was a lot of things that were just like very shaky. But at the end of the day, I know that people were loved. They were being fed and the name of Jesus was being lifted high. And so um, that was young and free. That was the smaller yeah. thing before soul. What I love about that, man, is, um, you know, some of the conversations that Jeff and I have had has just been about this ability to take risks. Right. And I think I think if God's grace is big enough to save us, God's grace is definitely sufficient enough to help us when we don't get everything right. And I think one of the big hurdles uh, that we have in young adult ministry today is is giving that place for risk. And we talked a little bit about this in some of our other conversations in other podcasts. But for you, I mean, did you ever get any real pushback from any kind of organized uh, level or or what kind of pushback did you get from those maybe who were mentoring you as you kind of walked through that process of maybe even sometimes just jacking some stuff up so what was that like yeah no and there was golly there's so many different things um you know i think for my backstory i began following jesus my senior year of high school and me as a young guy in high school as an athlete um, high level athlete doing a lot of different things. I obviously was not putting Jesus first and I was not living the way that honored him. And so I would tell you all this, you know, a lot of the pushback that I received was, whoa, you know, Carson's going to lead something. Like, why is this guy leading something? You know, just three years ago, this is, this was his lifestyle. Right. And um, he's unstable. And, and I don't know if he's called to do this and really, is it that serious? Is Jesus that serious? And um, how are you going to sustain this? And I think that's where what you said, I love that because um, I think now I look at my prayer life. I look at me and my wife and a lot of our like daily and weekly routines and how big like prayer and fasting and scripture study and mentorship and counselors are to us. I mean, making those phone calls, getting coffee, getting lunch, having people over, you know, get on our faces and praying. Like back then when we were beginning that, I began to realize like if, if I'm not here and taking this posture, and this thing can't be successful because I can take it wherever I want to take it and I can market it and I may receive 
pushback. But if I'm just trying to grind and hustle my way through it, that I'm going to fall. And um, so just our reliance on God, our reliance on wisdom, our reliance on counselors. I've had a mentor um, from La Rock, Arkansas, my whole time that I've been saved right next to my hospital bed. And um, he was he was there since day one. And so he was a guy that I called as well as other leaders and some guys in Atlanta. But again, I think there was real pushback. I think there was a little bit of persecution. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. when I got saved, guys, I'll tell you this. It's kind of a funny story for the podcast. When I got saved in high school, and this wasn't a Coastal Carolina Myrtle Beach thing, but I think it pertains to just um, how my character was worked over time. Um, I, had this, I had this Tahoe, and it was jacked up on mud tires and everything. So I would go places, and it was kind of like, oh, you know, that's Carson's car. And, I mean, I remember after I was saved, there was multiple moments um, at my house and um, at the movie theater one time and maybe at the bowling alley. It was like three or four things about the Lord were put on my like windows. And that was right after I got saved. And so I think that kind of revealed itself over time of like how hateful it can be when you haven't lived a life for the Lord, but you radically get saved and it becomes right. everything to you. And it becomes so serious. And I never knew that there would be a book. I never knew that there would be, you know, this ministry that's known on a national level and, and me and my wife, but I can remember those moments where people just did not like that. Maybe God had his hand on me and I was working to surrender my life to him. So that, kind of funny. Yeah, that's cool, man. I, and I could echo maybe even some of the same stories because I actually didn't become a Christian until until I was after I was a Marine Corps, but but uh, I remember when I first got saved and I went back home, like people didn't even know who I was. The guys I used to roll with or whatever ended up having to move to a different town about an hour away. It was just kind of that thick sort of uh, persecution. But I, I love that story. Um, so so you're in you're in Seoul, right? And you've got this this book. So kind of what was the the driving force behind writing the book? Book because Jeff and I were talking. Um, it, it's not a typical book that we would maybe expect from somebody at your age, but we actually love the format and the way you actually put it together is this devotional. So give us the heart behind why you wrote it, man. Um, so I'll tell you all this, it is, uh, and I actually have a few sitting right there as I'm looking at it. One, it's just been a huge privilege and an honor. I, uh, I was with a group of people last night. It was one of my best buddies' birthdays and we got to talking about the book and I still think, man, like I have a book. I just turned 24. Like, how is this even possible? I don't feel like I'm that wise, that smart to get this thing going. But one thing that I have picked up on over the past three or four years is spending a lot of time with 18 to 30 year olds, primarily like your 19, 20 to 21 year old. Right. And um, a lot of time, a lot of struggles, a lot of the addictions, a lot of the family background, Um, a lot of the, I don't know if I can finish college. I don't know if I can get through, how do I utilize my faith? And so as as I've seen all of that, um, even before the meetup with Zondervan, I can remember being at that same Starbucks where we began. So I would sit out there and in my junior and senior year, I would write these devos about just what God was doing in my life, things that I was struggling with things that I was asking God for. Maybe I would talk to a guy or a girl and I would hear just some pieces of their story and some brokenness and I would just start typing on it. And so what's crazy is when we linked up with the book and even before that name born for it, I had probably about 70 pages of just background information. Like this is what the young twenties are battling right now. But mom and dad are saying, this is the financial world about holding on to God when the storms raging around you and all those types things and so 
when the book became a thing, I remember, and I'll go back to square one where I said, just having the wisdom and the smarts to do this at a, you know, 22, 23 year old age, I had a small part of me that said, oh, I can write a book. But then I think my wisdom kicked in and said, and, and maybe other people are different that are listening. I think a lot of young people write books and they're great. And so um, all the power to them. But for myself, I didn't want to be 30 years old and look back at this huge book I'd written at 23 and say, man, I, I shouldn't have written that, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> and just say, man, I really was not that great. And, and with Born For It, as you've seen it, it's very simple. It's page to page. But not only that, it's just it's, it's a very easy read. And um, I think even being on the podcast now, the sad truth is a lot of people don't read anymore or don't like to read. Yeah. I think my generation is having trouble doing that. So I thought, all right, if I can scale and look at my audience and look at the care that I have for the 18 to 30 year old and maybe even, you know, my little brother's 16. So maybe even a little bit younger. Can somebody pick this up and, and spend, you know, five to 10 minutes in it and also have some scripture, scripture reference? And also just be pointed to Jesus and be encouraged in the life moments that they're in. And uh, that's how we begin to piece it together. The Born For It title. I'm a guy, I mean, I just, I love, uh, I love athletes. I love, you know, like Marvel. I, I just love like being motivated, being inspired, you know, being born for it. Like God's doing something. We feel powerful. And I think that's kind of like where the title came from was God's cool. birthed something in us and it's not us, but it's his power within us. So how can that be on an everyday basis where we activate that faith and we don't live in that fear? I think that that swarms us so many moments. And so, man, that, that easiness, the simplicity was a goal of mine. I think we hit that goal. I've had some people say, uh, I'll finish it with this guys. I had a good friend of mine say, man, I, I love the book. You know, I got some people around me and, um, and they're, talking about it but i'll tell you man you're a lot smarter of a guy than this book shows <laughs> and uh you know i think that you're a little bit more complex like your mind's deeper i know you're a deep thinker carson i said man i know but i'm young and i just want to be wise and keeping it simple and as time goes on i would love to write some more books i would love to spend some more time doing this but i wanted to keep it simple at the core and i really think the book shows that i mean I, I handed it to my 15-year-old daughter to review, and she liked it and liked the format. Um, it's funny you say you don't want to write something you'd regret at 30 because I was a young youth pastor, and I actually went back to that youth group later and apologized for the bad sermon. So <laughs> it, it happens sometimes. Um, but in the introduction of the book, you tell a story about an injury. You, you mentioned you were an athlete in high school, um, and you athletics were sort of the driving force Take us back to that 17-year-old kid who was an athlete. Did you ever see yourself at this place in ministry? I mean, no way. I never saw it. And that's why I think as we sit here and, and just conversate about it, um, even just sitting in my house here in Myrtle Beach with my wife, I'm just like, what in the world is going on? How did I get here? Um, we're doing years for my God with the lowercase G and that was it for us. And it was to be a great athlete, to score a lot of points, score a lot of goals, a lot of, catch a lot of touchdowns, all of those things. And it was very important to me, um, to go to the Naval Academy, which was a goal of mine to play football and then attempt to be a Navy SEAL. That's, that's what I was going to do. And, um, I remember when the injury happened and I had, you know, L4, L5 back surgery, it was awful. I mean, I can't really say many great things about it besides God knew what he was doing, but it was just a terrible experience. And, um, 
at 17 after that happened, I remember sitting and I tell everybody this story because I just can't make it up. There's, there's the detail to it um, is so real. I was 17 going into my senior year. Um, I began thinking. A, I began thinking a lot about the future. I knew that I was because I wasn't able to due to my back injury. But I remember sitting in sixth period in Coach Cochran's class, my favorite teacher at my high school. And um, obviously, you have rows of of desks. And I was sitting in the back desk in the back left corner against the wall. I will never forget this moment. And I remember sitting there, and it was I think maybe the last period of the day, and it was. I, I had to miss three months, guys, which was crazy in my senior year because of the healing in my back. So that kind of like took me out of the social circle and everything. Mm. I mean, I was kind of like forgotten about, you know, and so I came back for three months, but I'm sitting there in that six period class and I felt the weight of the Holy Spirit and just God's word over my life say, hey, you know, I, I know it's terrible right now, but you're going to, you're going to lead for me. You're going to do incredible things for me. You're going to rely on me, but I'm going to use you in ministry and as a pastor and as a leader for the next generation. And, you know, I think everybody talks about those moments, but again, I can remember against the wall, seven years old, Coach Cochran's literature class. Because I was always a reader and writer under the radar before I was saved. And I would just, I sat back there and I just felt the way before you and you feel I'm being of like, man, I'm not, I, I knew that God had called me. I didn't know it would be Coastal Carolina. I didn't know it would be so. I didn't know the book would be born for it. I didn't know I'd travel and speak a little bit as a young guy. But I knew that God was calling me to do something crazy. And, uh, and then obviously I moved 15 hours away and a lot of this kick started. And uh, God's been really faithful. That's cool. Yeah, man, I know, um, you know, God's brought you on this journey, but now you're sort of right in the middle of this of this really difficult area across the board in ministry, and that is this idea of young adult ministry. I don't think there's probably in the local church a more complex conversation than young adult ministry. We honestly don't know how to do it well. And so... Mm-hmm. How has it been for you, not as a not as someone setting in my position with years of experience in pastoral ministry, a little older, but how has it been for you as a peer among peers, leading them on this journey towards Jesus? I mean, and so um, h- how is it that that you're doing that well? I mean, what's what's sort of the connecting factor there? I would say, man, I, I you know I've got a friend in Dallas that has done some similar things the way that we've done soul and he is maybe 27 or 28. So he's a little bit older than me. And um, I say that because we've had this conversation a lot about just the hardships of like being around the same age as some folks and creating community style events and, and preaching a little bit and doing this and getting people here and there. And even, you know, we had these cool things called season trips, discipleship trips. So we would take 30 young adults, you know, per season and uh, place them in houses and, you know, crazy different personalities and then just like attack, you know, the roots and go through the gospel and all these things. And so in all that craziness, I know one thing that me and my buddy have talked about is just like wise counsel. And I know that's very cliche, you know, talking about on the podcast, but as you guys would probably say and laugh, but I know in all seriousness is 
my generation right now, I think the like young 20-something year old does not like wise counsel. And uh, it's very hard to sit with like a, a 30, a 40, or even like a 56-year-old man and say, hey, you know, show me how to do this. Guide me. And then asking questions with wise calls, I may just say, hey, I'm, I'm curious about this, or I want to do this with integrity. Um, I'm big on accountability, so I want to do this the right way if we've got some guys around. And I don't want to just, like, you know, hustle through this and make it something that looks cool on Instagram. But I want people to really have healthy roots before the Lord. And um, I think persecution we threw in there a little bit. I think that's true just because I think there's a lot of jealousy and envy um, mm -hmm. in my generation currently. And um, I think everybody wants to be somebody else. Um, I'll say just with honesty um, and humility, that's never really been my issue. Um, I, I've had great parents in my, in my household and even apart from the Lord, just instilled confidence. So I've always just been like a confidence person. I've dealt with pride, but I see that as a huge thing that can deter a lot of leaders that are trying to lead in this way and lead the young adult generation is, well, I want to be somebody else. Well, I want to be the next so-and-so and I want to be that guy that's like 35 and like screaming and preaching on stage, you know, over there in California or over there in Texas. And it's kind of like, you know, why don't you just be you? And I think, I think the best young adult leaders have to have this sure confidence. I'll, I'll finish it with this. I think what we're growing and seeing right now in the if out when something is inauthentic. And um, I love that word authenticity. And so I think if you're going to lead at a high level, for young adult ministry, you have to be very real. You have to be very genuine, but real doesn't mean foolish. Real doesn't mean, oh, well, I just act one way and then I do it another way on stage or, you know, around my ministry. Real is like, hey, I'm going to tell you like what's going on in my life, but I'm also living with honor, integrity, and accountability before the Lord. And um, so I think that, that my generation is going to appreciate that now. And for the next few years, it's like, just give me the facts. Give me the truth of the gospel. Give, mm -hmm. give me Jesus. I don't need extra stuff. Like I'm really hurting here. Like I really don't have any money in my bank account. Like my parents really just got divorced. Like my dad really just died in a car wreck. So can you, can you tell me about Jesus? Cause if you're just trying to like create this Christian subculture for me to walk into and for, for me, Carson, you know, some of the people I'm dealing with, like, you know, they suicide is like a big thing and um, like some crazy family things are going on. So they don't need me to preach to them some false thing that makes them look better and, and helps us all get together and feel good. They, they need the truth and they need real. And so just to be genuine and authentic, I think has been a huge win um, to lead at this level. Yeah. Carson, you, you mentioned a couple things. You said your generation struggles with accountability and having someone older than them speak into their life. But then you also mentioned that you've had a mentor from Little Rock um, since the beginning. How has that relationship sort of affected your ministry and, and helped you develop? Oh, in huge ways, man. I could go on and on um, about Tim Caldwell, great friend of mine, mentor of mine, been there since day one, <laughs> you know, had some arguments, some tough times of like, hey, Carson, why are you doing it this way? Like, I need you to kind of listen to me a little more and um, you know, being a, a type A personality, I kind of think like, 
in so many moments is like I've, I've been like mentored and I've had a guy like Tim or a few other guys in my corner. I'm kind of like, oh, I, I've got it. I'm just going to do it boldly. But being able to step back and listen to these guys, whether it's over, you know, lunch or we're getting on a phone call, you know, because of the distance and things like that. It's it's been huge for me because I, I want to go back to what I said. I think with with my mentor and the, and the other mentors in my life, um, a lot of let's just call it what it is, a lot of like sexual sin, a lot of like toxic relationships, a lot of like, you know, preaching on stage and doing things like in leading studies, but not actually like living that out privately. So having like a private life that matches up with the public ministry, um, we kind of talk about it. But then like really once we get deep, I think a lot of guys, I would say a lot of guys my age, like really aren't, aren't living in that way. And I think one, because it's very hard. And then two, to kind of like submit to an older person and, and tell them like your baggage and what's going on and what you're struggling with, which every young guy does is very hard. So I think in those areas, it's allowed me to take bold steps, but to take the right steps with honor and with humility. Um, as my struggle with pride has been a thing over time, um, my mentor, Tim and, and others have been able to speak to that. And lastly, I would say, and, you know, you would think that this isn't a big deal, but I, I do think in the young adults, young 20s cycle right now, it is a big deal. A lot of people struggle with reading their Bible. Mm. It's very, like, cliche to say, but, like, it's so true. And um, I remember, Tim, when I got saved, so I'm tw I just turned 24, but I was 17 turning 18. And for a year straight, we studied the Bible and studied how to go through Scripture every Tuesday and Thursday at Starbucks. And that changed my whole life. I mean, where, where I sit now and with how many like guys and, and gals and just different small groups, and even large groups that I sit with and me and my wife sit with, one of the biggest questions is I just don't know how to go through scripture. Right. I don't know how to break it down and to study it and to like pray over it and have God speak to me. And I think that's because a lot of people in this age bracket um, just don't know how to pick through God's word because maybe someone hasn't taught them that or they haven't submitted to someone. And that, that's helped me in huge ways. Man, I love this conversation about the public and the private that you're kind of hitting on a couple times. Um, and I think, you know, it's such a critical conversation to have, but I, it's also another one of those sort of cliche conversations that you're talking about. And it's this whole idea of social media platforms. Obviously, they're important. Obviously, uh, the young adult generation, the, you know, is, is dialed into it. You obviously have a substantial following on Instagram, your blog, uh, you know, on social media platforms. And so there's this, there's this question then of matching the public and the private. So, so how do you uh, navigate that difficult line of keeping your social media streams you and also understanding that there's a leadership responsibility in your social media streams and what you do on the digital platform? So how do you balance that and what is sort of the um, – what are some tools that we can use or help other young adults sort of navigate as they, as they go through social media and digital platforms? No, I mean, man, I'm excited for that question. I think there's a lot of meat to it. Um, I, I'll come out, I'll come out boldly and say, and I don't feel this a hundred percent, but I am going to be truthful, especially as a guy. I mean, like I've got maybe 60, 70,000 followers on Twitter, which has been insane. And, you look at Instagram, maybe 10 or 15,000 and then blog. And so there, there is a, a lot there, but I want to say that first, because as a guy that's in that sphere, I'll say that social media in the way that we see it right now 
for young preachers and ministers might be one of the worst things that's ever happened. Um, and I, I truly believe that. And I think some people would listen and be like, whoa, Carson Case is saying that? I, I genuinely think it's one of the worst things that's happened to us because I think we're in a place, and I had to get to a place um, really over the past year and a half of my following on social media does not make me a leader. Even if I have hundreds of thousands and even millions, it does not make me a leader. What makes me a leader is a guy that can hold what God has asked me to hold privately and in my marriage and steward that well. If I can steward what's there and then put that on a public platform and it be honorable to the Lord, then I'm doing things in the, in the right way and with integrity. Also, a huge thing that I see is I think with social media, it allows you to put things out scripturally. It allows you to put things out about your ministry, but not everyone has an idea of how you're doing it on a day-to-day -day basis. Example, I may be able to do an Instagram live or put up an Instagram caption about John 4, but some people on social media may not be able to disciple someone in real life because they don't know how, um, because they don't know how to break down the scriptures over coffee because they've never seen it. They've never done it. And so I think there's like this, this facade that we have to be very, very careful with and that I'm very careful with nowadays, um, especially that I used to be in my younger years, you know, when you get influence and, and the word with us nowadays is like clout. When, when you get that so quickly, it's easy to be immersed in it without studying it and without seeking God on a mm. private level. So you can do whatever you want to do and, and people don't even know you. I mean, people that are liking your pictures, they don't even like know you. And I hate kind of like going this route, but I just, I just want to be very like honest about this because it's a, it's a tough conversation for me right now because I think what is rampant is everybody having these opinions about the Lord on social media because they have heavy followings, but not knowing how to dissect the gospel um, over dinner with people that they're leading in real life. And um, not only will that get us in trouble, but it will ruin character over time. And something I hear from some of my friends is time tells all truths. And I think with social media, it's just this, this, this monster that continues to happen and so over time, there's a lot of, you know, bringing that word up again, there's a lot of like private things that need to be worked out. There's a lot of roots that need to be pulled up. There's a lot of like counseling that needs to happen. There's a lot of submission that needs to happen. But with social media spiraling and time going on and on, it allows you to not adhere to those roots and just continue in the way that you're going. And so I think having um, accountability partners at your age. I think for me, there's two guys in my life that are right around my age and they have full access to my life. They're the guys that if um, Carson could be posting stuff on social media and thousands of people loving it and retweeting it. But at the end of the day, I can come to these guys or call them and say, dude, I'm really struggling in this. And social media doesn't know this. And, and people that are reading my book don't know this. And these guys, and it was a mentor of mine that spoke this into me that I need to find a couple guys my age. These guys won't judge me for that. You know, and, and I think that's that's hard in the light of influence is you may not be able to trust people. And so for these two guys, I could tell them the worst thing in the world and they'll say, OK, I love you. You need to repent before the Lord and you need to get in prayer and I'm going to be praying alongside you. We're going to have a few follow up calls for this because you stumbled a little bit. And right. I think just having those confidants has been huge. But I'll, I'll finish it, guys, and say right now, especially I would say maybe let's, let's say between 20 and 25 years old. There's a lot of like preaching and teaching and Bible studies and influence all over the social media streams. But my big question is, are you really before the Lord in your real life? 
Um, are you really able to disciple people one-on-one? -on -one? Can you really dissect the scriptures in a true way that God calls us to? Or is it a facade that's going to get us tr in trouble in the next five or 10 years? Because we don't know. And uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's so, scary, man. It's, that's so good, bro. Listen, I, so good. I, listen, it's, good, it's great stuff. And I think um, we live in a, a very snapshot and snippet society um, that that they they get their Bible reading from online platforms like they get like you know you share a verse and that's their devotion um so as a young adult and and it sounds like you've done a great job of wrestling the tension out of of going deep for yourself and sharing what you know how are you encouraging other young adults to really dive into scripture when what we know statistically it's the most biblically illiterate generation how are you helping them become interested and excited about scripture as you are man i think um and this is gonna sound like an easy answer but i'll dive into it a little bit i think we can't forget small gatherings we are in the generation of of large concert venue type atmospheres and uh i think they've been great um i'll shout out my friends at passion you know it was it was about four years ago that that changed the way I looked at the Lord. That's not where mm -hmm. I got saved, but it was right after I got saved. I was in this large venue atmosphere at a football stadium. And I thought to myself, people really love God and his word. Mm -hmm. Like they, they really do. Like they're really crying out. And that, that changed things for me. But what I've realized over time and kind of answer that is I think we're transitioning right now. Um, and if I talk to a lot of my friends and even some people that I've been like discipling and ministering to that are very new in their faith, what you're going to hear is, man, I, I love like the mega church, but like, man, I need like, I need a couple people in a living room to get into the heart of scripture. Show me why it's real. Show me why I need it and show me why that in my life and in my morning and in my night and in my coffee time, I really need to get into this. And I really maybe need to get a commentary. I need to like Google search some things. I need to circle some words. I need to figure out like, what, what is God really speaking? He's not just, he's not just saying, Oh, you know, I loved you. You know, you're made for, for great things. You're going to do awesome things. So have a good day. But there's gotta be more. And, um, and, and I, that is kind of like a funny thing because I think that's where we're at right now. It's like, I'll just tell you a few good things and just, just go, go forward with it. But I think if we're really going to love Jesus in this deep, deep way, it's kind of getting in these smaller groups and, and getting with people and having accountability and transparency at the forefront and saying like, Hey, here's God's word. You know, if I'm Carson, I'm teaching it to you. And when we leave here, um, and this is just going to be blunt, but I'm a blunt guy. If I, if I leave here and I die in a car wreck and you'll never see me again, but if I gave you that bread of life, if I gave you God's word and I've showed you that this is how you're going to live and, and this is how you're going to fast and pray before this. And this is going to show you how to stand on your own two feet and live this life for the glory of God. Then like they can carry that on and they don't need me. I use that example because as a young guy, I'm influential, but I'm not the most influential. I think right now we have pastors and leaders and preachers and teachers, um, some of it being their fault. I think it is their fault some of it not being their fault where we have a younger generation saying, well, I can just grab a hold of their coattails of faith. And like, I don't need my scriptures. I just need the good sermons. I just need their YouTube mm. clips and their YouTube clips is, is the breadcrumbs that I'm going to eat on to follow Jesus. And we all know that's a lie from the enemy and it's not going to work in the long run um, because any of us can pass away. Any of us can fall off. Any of us can dive into sin and then 
we're going to have a lot of people saying, well, I don't really know how to get into the Bible for myself. And I was kind of like eating on things that you were teaching me. So like, how do I live this life for the glory and the honor of God? And so I think that that's why right there, these smaller groups, these intimate settings, these times of sharpening, I think friendships and relationships nowadays, um, you said that the, the Bible illiterate generation is us. I think we're also the softest skin generation I've ever witnessed. Like we just don't mm -hmm. even like it, we could be best friends. We could be um, diving in the word together, but to say something very hard and maybe a little bit awful to each other would, would sting us so badly. We wouldn't talk to each other for two weeks. And um, I think the, the wounds of a friend are a blessing scripture says. Yeah. And um, I think just really diving deep and, and showing each other like the truth of that, I think is going to build us for, for the long haul. And uh, yeah. Thought. So you answered this question when, before we came on the air. You you said that you and Aaron are praying and fasting about what's next for you guys. Um, I've also heard you mention in another space that that you feel that God may be leading you guys to church planting. Um, how how did you how are you resolving that? So so let me ask maybe a bigger question for for those listening. Okay. The the how do you wrestle out? what you feel is God speaking and leading and what's maybe just Carson wanting to do something. Ooh. Uh, it's a hard one. Uh, I, I'll give you what I, what I feel like I'm, I'm led to say here. I think it's very trusted voices. I know I've mentioned it on air many a times and it's like, all right, Carson, that's annoying, but I'm fasting and praying. Um, I think fasting has been one of my greatest things to like, knock out other voices that may not be the Lord. Mm -hmm. And um, I think listening to my wife a lot more than I listen to other people. <laughs> that's um, good wisdom. I that's mean, wisdom right there. <laughs> that's really helped me. That's it's a like, sign of maturity. You know, like my, my wife is like my most trusted voice apart from Christ. And uh, I may hear so many things that I do, or I may get like all these DMs and these things. Oh, you know, you guys are going to be great for this. And like, you know, you kind of like start feeling that and it's like, it kind of like strokes your ego. And then you go home and like, you sit and you start praying with your wife and my wife's like, no, don't listen to them, you know? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, okay. But, you know, I think follow the peace is something that's helped me um, in the past few years too, is this just this overwhelming peace that I think the Lord promises us. I think it's John 14, 27 peace I give you, peace the world that the peace the world cannot give. And so this overwhelming peace that I've been searching for at times where I do feel confused and a little hurt and just in the unknown and, and working to utilize my faith, um, making the environment that I'm around distraction free, probably getting off social media for a time um, and things like that. But I would, I would also venture to tell you guys this. <laughs> I'm, I just turned 24. I said that turned 24. We're eight months into marriage. One thing that the Holy Spirit has spoken over me and counseled me in with wisdom is that I have no business, and maybe this is different for other people, but I would, I would venture to say for any 24-year-old right now, I think, you know, you're stupid to start a church. I do. And, uh, and, I, and I'll go in and say that. I think that there's a lot more learning that we have to do, and I think to jump in and do that because we say that we're called and because we're so gifted and we're so talented, but we've never stood under serious authority, though we've never listened to older voices that maybe aren't just 30, but I'm talking about voices that are like 50 and plus and, and really like sat down and sat under the hand of God and, 
and fasted and prayed for a while, maybe taking some years under our belt to say, whoa, like, okay, this is a serious call. And um, so for us, I don't see us planning a church in the next year or two. I think what's next for Aaron and I, and something that we have prayed deeply on, um, very, very of, of recent, in the past three weeks, we prayed deeply um, that God would place us not under, not just under his hand of authority, but under some spiritual authority over some trusted leaders and pastors that would say, um, hey, I love you. I'm going to trust you and empower you to do some things in and around me, but I'm also going to teach you for some years, you know, what it means to do this at a very high level. Um, because that's something I would throw out there and probably that you guys have seen about me is I, um, and I just, I mean this with, with humility. I want to be great. Like I, w- I want to be great. And I think that's easy to say, but like sometimes in our world, it's like, well, I'm a Christian. So I don't, I don't want to like be too hard or, or too like blunt, but it's like, no, I want to be great. I want to make disciples of all nations. Like I want to do things in a massive way. I want to see how to like lead on a, on a level of excellence where like things don't just get like brushed under the rug, like where every detail is looked at so that so many people get to meet Jesus and get to follow his word. And so I think that's something that like we're desiring in our hearts and that we're looking for is like, Lord, would you, would you put us under the hand of some leaders and some people that truly would guide us in a way of, of excellent leadership and um, biblical surrender and just take us to that next level because we could, you know, we, we led soul for three years and uh i'm 24 she's 25 but we really don't know a lot and i think that we would be foolish to say oh man like wow we've we led this ministry and like we've got you know hundreds of people here and there like man we're, we're so ready to like conquer the world and we're not and um i think that's that submission to spiritual authority is something that we're we're interested in right now and we know that we need well bro i mean i'm super excited for you and just kind of listening to you talk i mean it's it's clear to me, first of all, God does have his hand on your life. And I think just as you speak, especially, you know, again, not in a derogatory way, but it's your age, right? You just haven't lived that long yet. Um, I mean, just your approach to ministry, your approach to discipleship, your approach to your generation, man, I think is, is phenomenal. Um, we got kind of one last question. This is one last question we sort of ask every, everyone on the show and uh, it, it, can be, it can be something funny. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, super serious or whatever. But uh, what is one lesson you learned in college that wasn't in the class? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I barely made it out. I was about halfway through. I was like, man, I'm done with this. I don't feel like I'm learning a lot. Um, one lesson I learned is how important it is to build relationships, maintain those relationships and see those relationships flourish through a lot of like truth, conflict and love. And so I want to like be clear on finishing this up. It's not what most people would say out here in the world, being young, the, the hands just shake, you know, just get connected, just network, just figure it out. No, I'm talking like more on a, on a very deep level because I think like friendships fall off, you know, just like cats and dogs nowadays. It's just whatever. We were friends. Now we're not friends. But one of the biggest things I learned in my college years, and I've got a few guys. I mean, we're very, very close. And it's to build relationships, maintain those relationships, and really like spend time on those things. Because I think it's your relationships, apart from the Lord, that are going to take you everywhere. 
And it's been those friendships and relationships outside of the classroom in college that were swarming around me and in the ministry and all those things that aided me in some of the hardest things in my life and even going into my marriage. So relationships, building them, working on them, not being afraid of the hard things and um, really seeing them flourish over time. It's been huge for me outside of my college years because your first year outside of college for anybody listening is literally the hardest year. Because it's like, oh, I'm in college, I have community, I've got class, I've got stuff to do. Mom and dad are pretty much paying for everything. That's for most people. And, uh, and then you get out and you're like, wow, the, the world doesn't like me very much. I'm broke. How do I pay for this? Will I ever find somebody that loves me? And you're just like, it's that, like, that one year that you're like, holy cow, nobody taught me this. Nobody told me this. You know, we were going through algebra. The algebra is not helping me figure out like where to step next. And uh, it, it's a hard time. So those relationships, I think, are a safe haven for everybody. Okay. That's awesome. Well, the book is Born For It, 90 Days and 90 Ways to Discover Your Gifts and Purpose. Where, where can they find that book at, Carson? Man, you can go on Amazon. You can go on Barnes & Noble. I know on my Instagram page, which is at Carson underscore case, there's a link there. The Amazon link, you can click that. We've been doing some giveaways and stuff. And even on my Twitter, I think it's the same thing. Um, at Carson underscore case, but you know, it's, it's around, there's some pictures and different things and you can find me on social media platforms. Give us those social media handles one more time. At Carson underscore case, C-A-S-E. And so that's pretty much the same handle I use for everything. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. We thanks. were so excited to have you on. Thanks Carson, man. We appreciate you so much. And uh, as we say here at the Collectives Co, there's a seat for you at the table, man. So uh, we appreciate you very much. And uh, God bless. Hey, thank you guys. It was an honor. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Collectives Code Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders?